How you guys doing? Good. Luke 12. This might be one of those sermons. Lord is doing so much cool stuff today. We might go a little over time, but we don't even know what that is, so just so you know. We might. Man, Lord's just doing something today. <sighs> the responsibility of man. Luke 12, verse 48. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with a few. But here we go. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Uh, it's been said, uh, for those of you who are into, into movies, and more, I don't know if it's Marvel, DC, I don't know the whole world. I, I don't know. I'm not really into comic book movies. But yeah, I remember the, I think it was the first Spider-Man was pretty good. Is that Marvel, DC? Uh, who is that? Marvel? Okay. Okay. okay I, I don't know. I'm not, in that, I'm, not, I'm not in that world right there. But I appreciate those that are. All right. In this movie, Spider-Man, there's a, a phrase that is uttered. It says, with great power comes great responsibility. Right? With great power comes great responsibility, and that's attributed to Spider-Man. <laughs> but what we see here in verse 48 of chapter 12, we really see the originality of this. But he who did not know he could committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. But here it is. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask more. There it is. With what you've been given, right, there is going to be a responsibility. To whom much is given, much is required. With power comes responsibility. And uh, for public speaking purposes, they usually tell you not to do this, but we're going to get right to the punchline. Right to the punchline of the sermon. And we'll see how we got there. The power of the Holy Ghost does not re precede responsibility. I want you to get this. The power of the Holy Ghost in your life does not come before responsibility. It is the responsibility given to man from the Father which brings the power. What am I saying here? If you do not see the power of God in your life, the power of the Holy Ghost, it might be because you do not bear the responsibility God has given unto you. There's the punchline. You see, many of us want the power of the Holy Ghost, but you haven't borne any responsibility yet. To get the power, you need to have responsibility. To get the power, there has to be much that has been asked of you. We can't get the power of the Holy Ghost like we want to see in the first century church if we don't bear the responsibility that the first century church had. That, the Lord downloaded this to me last night. And I was just really convicted. There's a lot of proof text for this. We see this in Luke chapter 12, verse 11.
Now, when they, this is Jesus speaking, now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Notice this, it's a formula. Some of us are like, I, I don't know, I'm not going to preach the gospel, I'm not going to share the good news with someone because I don't know what to say. The Lord says he's going to tell you what to say once you have the responsibility of going before magistrates, teachers, people of influence. You don't get the power to be able to preach and teach unless you go before first. You hear what I'm saying? You've got to walk out your responsibility before the Lord and in, and, and in the kingdom, and then he'll give you the power. Too many of us are waiting for the power, and then we'll say we'll walk out. That's not how it works. We walk out, and then he gives us the power. Amen? Now, all this is really rooted in, I believe, an eternal question. All this notion of, of responsibility, of power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, who here wants to see the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on planet Earth? Like big time, not like, you know, little time. I'm talking big time. We have to ask the question, why is it so in our day we do not see that? I'm wondering if it's because we're not bearing the responsibility of an apostle. We're not bearing the responsibility of a son or daughter. And then therefore we don't get the power. But all this originates from a question. It really originates with the second question that has ever been spoken in history. That should beckon a, a question. The second question that's ever been spoken in history, well, then what was the first question? The first question in history and the second question of history are actually eternally linked. First question, which you have to get in your head right now as you listen to Sandy's testimony, and you have to get in your head as you listen to the exhortations, and you've got to get into your head through this sermon. First question uttered in the universe, did God really say? You hear this? The first question that ever has been spoken is, did God really say that? Is God really saying this? Is God really saying a freedom from finances through miraculous means? Is God really saying don't eat your seed but give away? Did he really say that? That is the serpent speaking to Eve. Did God really say what he said to you? Now, the second eternal question is... God unto man, where are you, Adam? See how the questions are linked. By not answering the question appropriately, though, by not answering the first question, did God really say this? By not answering appropriately, we get to our second question. Adam, where are you? And we've preached this from the, from the pulpit before. This is the penultimate question of humanity and of the cosmos. Where are you, Adam? Right? So many of us want to get caught up and say, well, where's God? That's not an appropriate question. The appropriate question is not where is God, it's where are you? In the garden, God was there. Adam and Eve didn't have to be like, where are you, God? God was actually chasing after Adam and Eve. Where are you? You're hiding. What is this question all about? The question that is there in the garden by God, where are you, Adam, is really the expression and the understanding of relationship through grace. God chases you in the garden. He wants to be with you. He wants to have fellowship with you. 
And I hope we all get that. We don't have to, we don't, we don't have to run to God. God is right there saying, can you, can, I'm here. Position yourself to see me. I'm chasing you, actually. And I hope you got that kind of registered in your spirit throughout the years of some of you being here. But I was kind of thinking about this. I think there's also another intent to the question. God is here. I want to have fellowship with you. But I think there's another piece. I wonder if God came into the garden that morning, that evening, whatever it may have been, and he's like, hey, Adam, you didn't clock into work today. Are you sick? Where were they? They were hiding. They didn't come to work that day. What do you mean work? Yes. Yes, this is the whole thing. Oh, I can't wait till I retire. Are you kidding me? Retire? God has ordained you as a creation to work. And those who retire properly continue to work, right? They volunteer. They do things, right? Maybe not for monetary gain, but they're tending to the garden. There's no retirement as a son. Your job just changes. What do you mean you didn't come up to work today? You're, well, you're supposed to tend to the garden, Adam. Uh, it looks like the weeds got a little overgrown today. The cows are out of the pasture. But here's the thing. We've lost this scope in our charismania. Here it is. Man was created for fellowship, but he was put on the earth to bear responsibility. A lot of us get just lockstepped into the first part of this quote. I was created for fellowship with God. Amen. And the fellowship was broken. He came with his son by his blood, the Lamb of God. We now have fellowship with him. That's right. But you were put on earth not just for the fellowship. You were created for fellowship. You were put on the earth to bear a responsibility. Don't stop. I was created for fellowship. Amen, brother. But you were put on the earth to bear a responsibility. We see these types of paradigms of responsibility and the shrinking from them all throughout the Bible. Some of us, if we look real closely, maybe our own lives. Uh, famously, Moses. Oh, Moses, Moses, Moses. We love to glorify Moses. If you come to one of our Passover seders, I'll, uh, I'll kind of put Moses into a more appropriate light. Guy was complex. Super complex. God wants to use him in a tremendous way. And what does he say? He says, Hineni, here I am. That's it. Yeah, I'm here, Lord. Like, God is in a burning bush, and he says, here I am. That's awesome. Here I am. And then God goes to tell him his responsibility. You are to go back to Egypt, and you are to be a deliverer of your people. Yeah, I don't want that. You guys remember the story? Like, it takes, what, three, four times for God to be like, no, you're going to do this. No, you're going to do this. No, I don't want to do this. No, I don't want to do this. No, I don't want to do this. See, what did Moses want? Moses wanted fellowship, but he didn't want the responsibility. How many of you fit into that? Moses has a character that wants fellowship but shrinks from the responsibility. And this character grows in him. I know he's the great Moses. I understand that. But let's look at him as a human being. He says, here I am. But I don't want the, rela- I don't want the responsibility. I want the fellowship but not the responsibility. And that kind of character develops inside of him. And later he defies the Lord and he's not even allowed to enter into the promised land. 
Can you imagine everything that Moses, 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 like this is Charlton Heston. I mean, Moses, Moses can't enter the promised land because he defies the God. Why does he defy God? I think it comes back to this place of he says, here I am. I want the fellowship, but I don't want the responsibility. And he fights the Lord. And he continues. Come on. We, right? He fights the Lord. He finally, finally kind of complies, but then he doesn't circumcise his sons. And there's a whole bunch of whole other weird kind of crazy preachings we've done on that. But it's very different than other people from the Bible. So we have Moses, here I am. Hineni. But then we have an Isaiah. Hineni. Shalacheni. Here I am. Send me. I'm here to tell you from the Lord, how many of us have a Moses mentality? Here I am, fellowship. How many of you have a spirit of Isaiah? Here I am. But I'm ready for a responsibility. Send me. Send me. Send me. Moses can't enter into the promised land, but what does Isaiah do? I can't tell you this for a fact, but I really believe this in my spirit. I believe in the spirit Isaiah saw the Messiah. How can I say that? You cannot pen or hear the words of Isaiah 53 without an encounter. The suffering servant Messiah, Isaiah 53. You can't pen that. You can't write that. A lamb led to the slaughter, opened on his mouth, right? He took on the chastisement of it. Like, you can't, you can't write that without seeing him in the spirit. So look, man, here it is. I'm, I'm telling you, responsibility, in fact, godly responsibility. Godly responsibility brings joy. What is joy? It's different than happiness. Joy is sustained happiness. If your happiness levels are up, down, up, down, mood swings up, down, up, down, you don't have joy. You have happiness at a moment, temporary happiness. But sustained joy can only come when we receive and acknowledge that we have a responsibility from the divine. That's how you get the sustained joy. That's how you can be in a very horrendous situation. That's how you could be in the underground church being targeted and hunted in in the Middle East, and you still have a joy because you have a responsibility. Without responsibility, there is no joy. Now, here's the thing with all this. Then you have to go on a little bit of a journey with me. You have to take what I'm saying as truth, but you can look it up historically if you like. Ancient man, ancient man outside of the Hebrews have, has a very tormented history, very tormented philosophy, a very tormented theology. You don't have to just take this at face value, but I think if you, we understand this, you could better understand what is really going on with man and his relationship with God. Um, ancient man particularly the Greeks, uh, view, they view the world as one big bowl of chaos, okay? So you're just going to have to inherently believe me on that, but you can check it out. The, the early, early Greeks in late antiquity, and the Babylonians as well, 
Um, you see this. You see this in their writings. You see this in their religious writings as well. The world is chaos. Everything is random. And then, therefore, if everything is random, there's really no point. And if there's no point, then there's no real ethics. Um, somewhere between the, uh, the 6th, really in the beginning of the, the, the 7th and 6th centu centuries B.C., uh, there's going to be a, a school of Greek philosophy and thought known as the School of Miletus. It's going to be actually not too far from Ephesus in Asia, minor, modern-day Turkey. And there's a guy, and there's a point to this, there's a guy by the name of Teles and his student Anaximander who are going to be the first in the Western world to develop a notion that there is order. Listen to this. The Western world, from creation, outside of the Hebrews, which are not really Western, right? The Western world believes that everything is chaotic, no order, no form. Then, therefore, there is no purpose, and then, therefore, there is no ethics or morality, because nothing is for anything. But what happens here is uh, Thales and Aximander, they start coming up with some basics of, of mathematics. And then uh, their student, Pythagoras, really starts to lock it in. They're looking around the world like nothing makes sense. This is all like chaos. The rivers flood, there's earthquakes, there's rain, there's drought. Like everything is just completely chaotic mess. And Pythagoras comes up with this, this, this somewhat brilliant idea for the Western world. He starts working on numbers. I don't know if you guys remember from high school, maybe you don't. The Pythagorean theorem, A squared plus B squared equals C squared, right? So you get a right, right angle and you find out, right, all that kind of stuff, right? He comes up with this thing. He's like, wait a minute. Everything is chaotic. We can't make sense out of the world. Nothing makes sense. What the heck are we doing here? And he's like, wait a minute. One plus two plus three plus four equals ten. That's truth. You can't argue that. One plus two plus three plus four equals ten. And it always will. Right there, this really comical kind of thing, you're like, what the heck is this guy talking about? Right there is the birth of Western thought. Logic, reason. What is truth? Mathematics. What is truth? Science. That is true. You can prove it. It's the only thing that can be proven. So that is truth. 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 equals 10. Right there, the Western world, for the first time, develops the concept and the idea that there is an order. And mankind is to bring it. Essentially, through the Greeks, what we have here is man is the impetus to bring order, and he is the reason of, of, for the world. And it's the beginning of the Greco-Roman worldview, which whether you know it or not, that has impacted you in so many ways. You have no understanding how deep that 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 equals 10 has permeated your mind, body, and soul. You have no idea. I can't even begin to convey it to you. I can't. I don't even know how you're going to be freed from it. There is so much Christianity that's built into that equation. If I just do this, then logically this will happen. Where is God? 
that's, gonna, that's like a whole other sermon series. And I'm not going to get there. But what I want you to know here is this is the birth of Greco-Roman thought. It is the birth of the way in which your mind operates. There is an order, and I am to perform it. And if I do X, Y, and Z, then this is the result. Well, thank God for the Hebrews. Because 1,000 years before Pythagoras is Moses. Bereshit bara Elohim et shemaim ve et haaretz. Ve haaretz haita tohu uvohu. Ve hoshek al penei tohum. Ve roach Elohim merachapat al penei hamayim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. That is tohu uvohu. It is without form and it is void. It is chaos. 1,000 years before the Greeks. Moses is writing down. He's the one we believe wrote down the scrolls. And he says that God, before, before everything that has ever happened, it is void. It is absent. There is chaos. But the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters and said, or Let there be light. And there was light. Greco-Roman world, who brings order? You do. Through mathematics? Through your rational mind? The Hebrews, who brought forth the order? God himself. And guess who he put in the middle of all of the order? You. It's a completely different way of thinking about everything. You as a churchgoer, you are Greco-Roman. You're Greco-Roman. America is the bastion of Greco-Roman philosophy, history, law, justice, everything. There's a lot of good things in it. The Greeks, we bring forth the reason. We bring forth the rationale. The Hebrews, God brought forth the rationale. The Greeks, God, the Greeks... You and I are the reason and the logic to everything. We make it, we construct it. The Hebrews, God is reason and logic, and he made you. That is the reason. Mankind, Greco-Romans, we make the reason. God, the Hebrews, you are the reason. Completely different way of viewing everything. Let's say this again. Because it's going to take you years to unpack this. The Greco-Roman American worldview. You as a human being, you make reason. You make the reasons to things. The Hebrews. God. I'm the one who brought forth the reason. And you are it. We unpack this a little bit more. God brought the order to everything. It's not in mathematics. And he puts you in the middle of that order. Because there is a responsibility. Look, bearing responsibility in the Lord, in fact, I'm here to tell you, it is a joy. It's a formula for long-term happiness. Many of us are not doing it, and then we're not happy. And we're not joyous. 
you were designed and you were built by God. You were created to have fellowship, but you were put on earth to bear a responsibility. And what is that responsibility? He tells us. Tend to the garden. Be stewards of this creation. Tend to the earth. The prophets and Jesus take that and make it more, quote-unquote, spiritual. Your purpose is to bring the kingdom. To enlarge Eden. That is an amazing joy. I have a responsibility. I have to continue what the Lord began on earth. I got saved for fellowship, but there's more? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But here's the thing, right? But to bring the kingdom to others, what needs to happen is you need to first register the kingdom inside of you. And I'm telling you that the kingdom is not just the salvation. The kingdom is you have been created for fellowship, but put on earth for responsibility. So you need to step in to your responsibility. What is the responsibility? Bring the kingdom, share the good news, to be transformed into his image, bring people in the kingdom, to announce good news, to see people's lives changed by the spirit of God. How can you not get joy in that? Why not? There's questions here. Why is it that there are people that simply do not want to bear responsibility? Why is it that there are people that simply do not want spiritual growth? They don't really want to step into the transformation from glory to glory. And this is, you know, we can get all woo-woo and all spiritual here, but this is very, like, nuts and bolts. Why are there people who simply do not bear responsibility in their life in earthly matters? There's plenty of people like that. There's a lot of things we can say about that. I mean, there, there, there are character traits of how you conduct your life that shows that you are bearing responsibility on what God has given you. Why don't we do this? There's a couple of reasons. One, I think that we have a warped sense of the gospel. There was a theme today in worship, which wasn't necessarily planned, but there's a warped sense of the gospel. And it's so me-focused. It's so, dare I say, even fellowship-focused. Me, me, me. I have been saved. I have fellowship. I know. But there's also responsibility. There's also action. A warped sense of the gospel. Just salvation but not sanctification. Not growing in the Lord. And it's this. I'm telling you right now. The fellowship piece just with the Lord without bearing the responsibility is this. Intimacy without responsibility is the definition of lust. It is pornography. Intimacy without responsibility is lust. It is pornography. There are too many people in the church who have made God a pornographic item. I want the intimacy and the feel-goods, but I will not bear a child. That's Greco-Roman. Fellowship, intimacy, a response and responsibility. Two. 
then there's a warped sense of our identities. 1 John 3, 3, what matter of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we shall be called children of God? You're a child of God. You're a son. You're a daughter. You have value. God has breathed his life into you. Right? In Greek, pneuma. In Hebrew, ruach. He's put his breath, his everlasting, eternal, infinite breath of life inside of you. That is a tremendous level of value which should bear responsibility. I'm flying through this sermon. Can you come on now? Issues that limit. Coming off of this, this notion of responsibility, and look, some of you will be upset at me, and that's good. There are people in this church who will not step into their calling and their responsibility. If, it, if you think it's you, it's probably you. You don't even have to talk to me. There are people sitting here that are supposed to be pastors. There are people that are sitting here who are supposed to be teachers. There are people that are sitting here who are supposed to be evangelists. There are people that are sitting here that are supposed to be worship leaders. There are people that are sitting here that should be prophets. But you haven't done it. Because you're afraid. You're afraid. Fear. I can't do it. What will people think? I can't bear the responsibility. I'm just me. No, you're not just you. You're a son and daughter with the breath of God that has been created to have fellowship with the eternal God and you were manifest in a physical form through your mother's womb to awaken and bear a spiritual responsibility. There is no greater resume than that. So I don't know what you're talking about. But, but, but that's not me. What do you mean it's not you? Don't have fellowship with that responsibility. You have a responsibility to be a bearer of light. To speak forth the power of the gospel on earth. But I'm afraid? You got caught up in one of the first quotes. You're waiting for the spirit to come and then you'll do the responsibility. Come on. You step into the responsibility, the spirit's going to show up. My goodness, you know how many times I would preach at this church if I'm waiting and waiting and waiting for the Holy Ghost just to have it all together? I wouldn't be preaching. I listen to the Lord. I write things down. I get up here. I'm like, Holy Ghost, come. You wouldn't have a pastor. Or not this one. I don't have enough time in my day to come up with a three-point sermon. Because I bear too much responsibility. I can't do it. What will people think? Come on, man. You are not, you are, you are not one of the ten spies that went into the wilderness and said, oh my gosh, there are giants in the land. You're not one of those. You're not supposed to be one of those. You're supposed to be the two. You're supposed to be a Joshua and a Caleb. Come on. Joshua and Caleb, did they care what people thought about them? Come on. Ten people said, we can't do it. Two, Joshua and Caleb said, what are you talking about? God said we can, so we Joshua, me and my household shall serve the Lord. There is no fear. Did David care?
care what people thought? Little punk kid from the wilderness. Is there not a cause in Israel? Is there not a cause at Bristol Hope? Did the disciples care? Trick question. They did. Oh, they cared about the fear. Oh, they cared about what people thought. At first they did. Who shall be the greatest amongst us? Who shall be the greatest amongst us? Who shall be the greatest amongst us? What will people think? Peter, oh, he was afraid. Denies Jesus three times. Cuts an ear off. At first they cared, but then they changed. What caused them to change? They changed when they saw a crucifixion. They changed when they saw a death. They changed when they saw a resurrection. If you're not bearing the responsibility in the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you, we need to see our own crucifixion. We need to see our own death, and then we need to see our own resurrection. If not, we cannot bear the power of the Holy Ghost. Because we don't bear the responsibility. 1 Corinthians 1.26, this always gets me fired up. If there is ever any doubt, if there's ever a doubt, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not, mighty, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So let's update this for us. You see, you're calling, brethren, not many of you are extroverts, so then therefore you can't preach the gospel. Don't you see many of you? You sing out of key, so then therefore you can't worship. Not many of you are, or see, many of you that came from battered past and messed up homes and all this kind of stuff. Now you see all that? Many of you are not mighty, not noble, because those are the people that are, are supposed to be called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? So that no flesh should glory in his presence. You can't pray well? Quote, unquote. That's why you should be up here praying. Because no one can say, wow, you have very beautiful words. The only thing you can stand on be like, that person got healed. It must have been God. You have fear of crowds or fear of standing up and singing on a microphone or doing things like that. Yes, that's why God wants you. Because everyone knows it can't be you because you can't even keep a freaking tune. It must be God. When we stand. It has been said, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. 
If you're getting beat back, if you're fatigued, if you're impatient, if you're not walking in the fruits of the Spirit, if you're cranky, if you don't have joy, because you're like, man, the hows of my life are a little too difficult right now. I'm telling you right now, the only reason why it is is because you haven't come in contact with your why. If you have a why to live, you can bear anything. Do we not forget Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. Look what he bore because he had a why. What's the why? You have a responsibility. You have fellowship, but you also have a responsibility. Lord, we just come before you and we thank you for this day. Father, I pray right now, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, show people their why. Show them their destiny, destiny in the Lord. Let's just wait a moment. Come on. Come on, liberate us from this Greco-Roman worldview. Come on. Liberate us from this reason and logic. You've brought order to the earth. You've brought order to the cosmos through your breath, through speaking. And you've placed us in the middle of the garden to bear responsibility, to tend to the garden, both physically and spiritually. Father, I pray right now for those lazy people to apathy be removed and responsibility would be replaced. Father, I pray right now that you'd awaken, you'd awaken the sons and daughters for all of the earth, all of creation is waiting for us to be made manifest, to bear a responsibility, to step out Step into our calling. Father, I just, I just pray against this, this, this me-centric gospel. This touchy-feely gospel. If I can just feel, if I can just feel, if I can just feel. And it just stays there. Come on. Arise in us to be like the Joshua and the Caleb's. Arise in us to be like the Deborah's and the Yael's and the Mary's and the Miriam's. Come on, rise up in us to be Esther's and Daniel's and David's. They weren't content with a fellowship. They weren't content with a fellowship. They had a fellowship which broke them to say, here I am, send me. I want a responsibility. Come on, right now, right now. Lord, I pray right now through the womb in the spirit that there be a birth of responsibility on our shoulders. A birth of responsibility of being the bride of Messiah, of being a part of the church, the great congregation, the great cloud of witnesses. Come on, I just pray right now. Not many are wise, not many are noble according to our callings. Come on, we gotta rise up, we gotta rise up. We gotta rise up. 
Come on, I pray, I pray for it, that, that anointing that was on Isaiah. Here I am, but send me, Lord. Send me. I'm here to bear a responsibility in the Holy Ghost. To preach the good news. To be the hands and feet of Christ. To be transformed in your image through the fellowship. To show our faith by our good works. Come on, spirit fall. Come on, quicken us. Come on, let your gentleness be known to all because the Lord is near. His time of returning is, 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 is coming sooner and sooner. Come on, there's a job to be done on earth. There's a job to be done at this church. There's a job to be done in our region, in our town. Come on, I just, I just pray right now. Come on. Deborah's arise. Deborah's arise. In Israel, they saw no man would be a general. And then there was a Deborah that arose. Come on, Joshua and Caleb's arise. Arise and shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. There's a glory upon you because there's a responsibility to let it out. Come on, we don't want just the glory, just to sit on our couch and just have fellowship. We want to have a glory and a fellowship so we go and bear a responsibility of the good news. Jesus. Jesus. Lord, I'm just going to invite you to come on down to receive some prayer. If you have the altar team, come on down. If you're just like, man, I've made God a pornography. Come on. If you, if you, just, you just wanted the intimacy without the responsibility, it's time to come down and get free from that Greco-Roman spirit right now. No fear. You were born for this. You were created for this. You're put on this planet for this purpose. Come on. Come. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. On. You you got this because God has given you the responsibility. You got this. Come on. You, you got this to be a friend to the brokenhearted. 
You got this to be a husband that leads your home. You got this to be to be a woman to to speak forth the power of the gospel. Send us. We're not content to just say, I am here. We want you to send us. Bear the responsibility. So we will uh, officially close out service now, but of course we want to stay and remain in the presence. Remember this Wednesday we have our family worship time and prayer time. And then a week from today, right, we're going to meet directly at the wharf. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful week. I am a child of God.